If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast in the Clay and Buck Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and I'm so glad you are tuning into our podcast today because I have one of my favorite people to talk to because he's so much smarter than me. He knows all of the stuff about tech. His name is Alan Bakari. He's an investigative tech reporter for Breitbart News. He spent his career exposing big tech, how they play with politics, and seek to censor dissenting opinions. Google, Facebook, YouTube, they're all censoring what we do and who we see. And he knows this because they actually censor Breitbart too. That was, I think, one of the first conversations we had together, Alam, was about how you can't really Google and get a Breitbart article anymore. So you know all about this, don't you? Uh, yes, that's right. They uh, really censored Breitbart News quite heavily during the twenty. 20- 20 election, um, there was a massive, massive gap. What we did is we compared the uh, the data from the 2016 election to the 2020 election, and the visibility of Breitbart news links in Google search results was reduced by uh, over 90, 97, over 97%. It was a massive, massive drop. And, you know, a drop like that doesn't really occur organically because we hadn't lost a significant number of our, our readers or anything like that. It was just the Google search results that had seen that massive change. So it's obvious that this was a result of Google changing their algorithm between the 2016 and 2020 elections. And uh, that's kind of what we what we should have expected because, you know, we, we caught their CEO, their executive team, uh, in a leaked video right after the 2016 election discussing the changes they were going to make to make sure that uh, that a similar result didn't happen again. Even had one of their executives saying they wanted to make populism, the populist movement, a blip in history. But that it's funny that we are talking about this because just over the weekend I had a friend who is I would say, I guess I would call him a conservative influencer, but also has his own organization. And he was saying, 
I, I just, it's not like it was three years ago. He said, I can't get anywhere on Facebook. I can't get anywhere on Twitter. It, do you see that this is happening to conservatives still? Because I, I feel like a lot of conservatives came out after Twitter with Elon Musk and they said, oh, okay, so we're not crazy. This is obviously happening. But it doesn't seem to have moved companies like Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or any of those. Yeah, it's important to remember that, you know, with the exception of Twitter, you know, the big tech companies are really still in the hands of, uh, you know, of the, of the mainstream of, uh, of people who have bought into this idea that they need to censor misinformation and disinformation and hate speech, which of course are all uh, euphemisms invented by the mainstream media and academia to censor conservatives. Uh, Google and Facebook are still very much doing that. And, you know, as powerful as Twitter is, you know, there's no bigger, bigger driver of uh, clicks to news publishers than, uh, than Facebook and Google. Those are still the two really big tech platforms. So if progressives still have their claws in, uh, in, those, in those companies through the, uh, through the censorship teams there, the trust and safety departments, then it's still going to be a very uphill struggle for conservatives to compete with the mainstream media on those platforms. Well, speaking of progressives, I want to talk to you about something that you wrote about recently, because I feel like this is kind of biting the hand that feeds you, but maybe I'm wrong. Now they're going after the climate people are going after video games, which I I need you to connect that for me because I, I really don't get that at all. But isn't this kind of like their own team? You know, the video game people are the tech people. So how does this work? Uh, I'm not sure it is their own team, actually. I mean, you know, back in uh, 24, I remember back in 2014, one of the earliest stories I covered at Breitbart was this thing called Gamergate, which was really like uh, one of those early battles over wokeness. We see wokeness in so many industries these days. You know, the recent one was the beer industry with Bud Light. But back in 2014, there was a massive controversy over wokeness in video game journalism. And that turned into a massive controversy, lasted over a year. And gamers were really, really upset about, you know, the intrusion of political correctness into their uh, their hobby, which was previously quite free of politics. Uh, you know, you've got to remember, you know, video games tend to be quite, you know, a male-dominated hobby. And, you know, uh, you know, male voters in the U.S. at least tend to lean Republican more than women voters to, to uh, you know, if you look at the polls. So um, I, I, I kind of compare it to the NFL. I mean, the N, a lot of you know people who were fans of the NFL, many of them were political moderates. They were they were apathetic, but uh, then they became politicized with, with with the kneeling controversies and Colin Kaepernick. Mm, you're right. So you know when this when when you see a, an industry or a hobby become politicized like this, you know it's hard to predict which way it will go. Um, the story I covered for Breitbart is about uh, the net zero agenda. So, you know, climate activists are upset that um, the, uh, you know, the devices that gamers use, whether it's uh, PCs or consoles, use a lot of energy. And they're trying to change the industry so that, uh, you know, to, to make companies, I know, make games that are less demanding on, uh, on, uh, on uh, devices to reduce the, uh, the climate footprint. Uh, which is what we've seen in, uh, you know, in almost every other field. You know, how can we, how can we change things? How can we restrict things to, uh, to meet right. these, climate, these net zero climate goals? But restricting the, the farming of cows, the eating of meat, because, you know, farming creates all these carbon emissions. Uh, in France, they ban short haul flights. Um, commercial airlines, not private. Oh, I airlines, just but, saw that. How, yeah. how are they even going to do, how will that go over in France? 
Yeah, I mean, the French are already quite upset about uh, Macron's uh, carbon targets, his net zero goals. This is one of the reasons why we've seen uh, so many protests in uh, in uh, in big cities over the past two years. Of course, it's quite common in France for the big protests in in, uh, in cities, but it's uh, this is one of the uh, the core grievances cited by people like the Yellow Vest protesters in that country. Uh, interestingly, you know, they ban short haul flights for average consumers, but private jets are still allowed to go on those same routes. <laughs> of so, course. Uh, so it's if you can drive within like three hours, right? Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, it's, it's about that much. Yes. So you can't take flights for those distances anymore. You have to take the train or you have to you have to drive. Unless you're rich. You're wealthy enough to, uh, to, uh, to afford a private uh, jet. That seems to be the common theme with all of these net zero uh, agendas. They're not trying to ban things outright. They're just trying to put them out of the reach of the average consumer. Almost like they're trying to make people comfortable with lower standards of living, like they're preparing people for that. Oh, they are preparing people for that. I mean, that is that is that if we do not fight against that, this, that's what we believe. The, the goal is to make sure that there is no longer a middle class. You have the ultra rich and then everybody's at the same level. It's very convenient to persuade people that you have to do it. You have to accept lower standards than previous generations because you need to do it to save the planet, right? That's a very persuasive argument uh, for people who don't uh, you know, actually interrogate it and look at the evidence. It is because, again, you have young parents who are being told this world is not going to be around for your children unless you do this. And that's I think that's the ultimate way to twist someone's mind. Well, I have to protect my kids, so I have to do this. I find the best counter argument is to point out that uh, why are they so relentlessly determined on these specific solutions that you have to give up your gas stove, you have to give up meat, you have to give up your gaming PC to save the planet, when if you want to achieve net zero, there are ways to do it without reducing the standard of living for everyone, the most obvious example being uh, nuclear power. Uh, I think I mentioned this on Twitter. There was a recent example. A nuclear plant in Finland had to actually shut down briefly, had to pause operations because it was making electricity so cheap it couldn't make a profit. So, you know, there are ways to reduce the carbon footprint without harming consumers, but they seem relentlessly focused on reducing the standard of living. That seems to suggest there's an agenda beyond simply reducing carbon emissions. Well, there's also a lot of money in coming up with other solutions, too. So I think that there's a whole game going on behind the scenes here. But I wanted to ask you about AI as well, because there's a lot happening in the AI world right now. We've seen videos coming out and people don't know if they're real or if they're not real. We see that Japan is saying we're going to extend this to even illegal sources coming in because we want to make sure that we can increase population population we, or increase our ability to work with our low population because they have not been having as many kids as they were expecting. AI, the whole story that we're getting around AI right now is it's extraordinarily dangerous. You keep hearing these AI experts come out and say, we've got to stop it. But if other countries aren't stopping it, they're even willing to go to sources that aren't legal. Where does the United States stand if we are trying to prevent ourselves from expanding? Uh, yeah, that's that's the interesting thing. It's important to unpack some of these uh, claims that, uh, that are being made about the dangers of AI. There are legitimate dangers of uh, of AI, but I don't think they really apply to uh, to large language models, which is the specific type of AI we, we've seen uh, explode recently, ChatGPT and programs like that. The large language models, are, you know, they're not artificial general intelligence, which is what people tend to be, what the theorists you know, are talking about when they're saying, oh, this, is, this could be a really 
dangerous thing if we let it get out of control. Large language models are very much controlled by humans and are essentially just looking at patterns in human text that they read on the, uh, that they, you know, digest and, uh, and turn into outputs. I think the reason why, uh, you know, if, if I had to read between the lines, I think a lot of the companies have a vested interest in saying AI is very dangerous, because if they say AI is very dangerous, then they can say, well, only responsible people should be allowed to mm. do it, only, you know, licensed companies or something like that. And that gives them all the control, right? It, it reduces competition. Um, and like you said, other countries with different priorities might not be putting restrictions on AI. Uh, Japan doesn't want to put any restrictions on AI because they see it as the solution to their uh, declining population, a solution that doesn't involve uh, mass immigration, which they really don't want to do. Um, and, you know, there's obviously China as well. We've seen uh, this big push in Washington, D.C. to reduce, to regulate the uh, export of advanced computer chips to China. And that's really uh, trying to prevent their, uh, their development of AI technologies and uh, other advanced technologies that could be used in military systems. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a big uh, foreign policy angle to consider here. I mean, can't it be used to manipulate people in elections or, or any? I mean, even I, I could see a country like China putting videos out and, and their people could completely believe that all of this is happening in another country like this. I don't know if you saw the DeSantis office video where he they make him into Michael Scott from the office and he's wearing a woman's suit. I mean, it is so it looks so real. It is shocking. This is a legitimate problem. I mean, this it, it's 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 really a shame that the left has spent five years just destroying the objective meaning of words like misinformation and disinformation, because, you know, there mm. is real misinformation and AI is an example of how it could grow really, really, uh, really, really powerful, you know, imitating people's voices, people's image in a way that's indistinguishable from the real thing. That's where you actually do need uh, some ways, you know, to help people detect misinformation and disinformation. The problem is, how is anyone going to trust a third party or a company to identify misinformation for them to identify AI deepfakes when they spend so long using this as a tool of political partisan warfare that has no real objective meaning? Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. 
And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. We've been talking about elections quite a bit, obviously coming off of 2022. What are we doing wrong on the conservative side? Why aren't we getting people elected? And and what tech are we not using? Which I would argue we're really not using any tech or very low levels of tech compared to the other side that is going out and they're meeting you where you are. I mean, they're going into your phones. They're getting the message that you want to hear directly to you. They're very good at that. So I, I had someone the other day say, well, imagine at some point it'll be your candidate. They will be able to go into your phone, find out you had an appointment at the vet that morning, and your candidate will then have a video that comes up later and say, I have a busy life. I'm just like you. I had to take my dog to the vet today and it'll all be AI. I mean, do you see a world where someday this happens and there's targeted elections like that to the point where people go, wow, wow, I'm just like that person. I want to vote for them. You know, I think it's already happened to some extent. I think it happened a long time ago. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, back in, uh, back in uh, when was it, 28, when, when the, the Cambridge Analytica scan, so this was like 2018, 2017, one of the uh, stories that the mainstream media ignored from that was a former Obama campaign official coming out and saying, well, yes, this Cambridge Analytica stuff is, uh, is bad, it's an invasion of privacy, but actually Facebook gave us way more, gave the Obama campaign way more data voluntarily back in 2012 as a sort of gift to the campaign to help them win. And that was the entire social graph that Facebook had. So you already had people inside Facebook, uh, you know, giving all of this data on Americans to uh, to the Obama campaign in 2012. Yet the campaign staff had come out and admit this in 2018 and nothing was done about it. Of course, it was brushed under the carpet. So uh, even, you know, beyond uh, AIs, you have to worry about people inside these Silicon Valley tech companies that have so much targeted data on uh, on Americans just you know voluntarily handing that over to the Democrats because you know all of the so many people in Silicon Valley lean heavily to the left. So this is where I think that people are not understanding what how elections have changed and how important that data actually is. So you have this on the left where they have endless access to all of our information. And that's how people market to you as well. So they look at you and they say, okay, this person drives to this school every day. They buy from this grocery store. They buy guns. They don't buy guns. You know, they, they look at their, their systems can look at every detail about you and know exactly what's important to you and then feed you that information to come and vote. So if you they know you're very pro-life, they're never going to hit you with the information on pro-choice. They're going to go to you with something else that you are going to consume and love, and it's going to compel you to go out and vote. But I would argue that on the conservative side, we are 
completely behind on this and have very few sources of this data. And when we do have this data, there are consultants that hold it hostage for high amounts of money. Do you think that this will, do you think this is the, the, the weight that is helping the left win in many of these cases, even though their policies are not really that great? I, I think so. And, it, you know, it's a wonder that uh, Republicans win at all when the left has this huge advantage in tech, not to mention all the mainstream media companies on their side, which are artificially boosted through uh, through Google and, uh, and Facebook and YouTube. I think uh, the only the only problem the left has is no matter how much data it has, no matter how much advantage the, the tech companies uh, give, give to them, many of the left wing agendas and policies just fundamentally unpopular. So no matter how much you target people, you know, you're not going to persuade a large majority of people to see, uh, you know, biological men as uh, as women, no matter how large a majority of, uh, you know, people you can, you know, target through these tech platforms, you're not going to persuade them to stop seeing the crime on the streets or the declining economy or the rise in prices, you know, at gas stations and groceries. And, you know, and, and all the uh, the basic truth and basic facts that the left is trying to cover up that's actually right there in front of people's faces. No amount of tech advantage can get over that. Uh, but I certainly think that Republicans would be winning by uh, by far more if uh, if it wasn't for these biased tech platforms, if there were more controls on, uh, on, the, on, the, on the favoritism that uh, tech companies have been shown to the Democrats for the past uh, half decade. So just selfishly, I will say to everyone listening again, if you are investing in elections, ask people what they're doing to win. I think this has been something that, you know, just last week I met with someone and they said, well, we put millions of dollars into this organization and I'm not sure what they did. It's the only time I think people invest without saying, well, what's your plan? I mean, you wouldn't invest in any other company without saying, what is your plan to get to the to the end game that you are looking for? But for some reason, that seems to be something that, we are not doing on the Republican side. So I appreciate the fact that you brought this up. And this is something that I also think that, you know, with Breitbart, I, I used to see Breitbart as the the news magazine or the online news to go to, to get the conservative view, to understand how the, the story was being twisted. But I think that the left has been very smart about how they have stopped that information from getting out. So how, as a news organization, as the media has changed so much, how do you fight this? How do you fight the the ratcheting back from online services? Uh, it's, it's very difficult when we have all of this suppression from Google. You know, the great advantage that Breitbart has um, is, you know, many of our readers don't come to us through Google or Facebook. They come to us, uh, you know, by, you know, manually typing in the URL into their, into their browser or having us as their bookmark or subscribing to, uh, to our, to our email updates, to our email uh, newsletter. And that's a, that's a great way to get around censorship. You know, if you're, if you're not seeing Breitbart, uh, in your, uh, in your feed, uh, then you should just uh, sign up for the email updates, you know, because if, if Facebook is suppressing the news stories in your feed or if Google isn't shown to you, showing them to you in search results, at least you'll get it in your uh, your inbox when there's when there's an update, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you have a newsletter as well that uh, the people can sign up to and that'll stop uh, Facebook from suppressing your posts um, or at least help people get around that if it's happening. Um, but, you know, these, these are ultimately temporary fixes. I, I still maintain that we ultimately need 
regulation to stop the political favoritism on, on the part of uh, Silicon Valley. Well, I, I am glad that you came on here today because I think it's so important that people read your work on Breitbart. You have recently talked a little bit about the FDA approving Neuralink. This is something that is incredibly interesting to a lot of people out there that struggle with paralysis, that struggle with any type of illness that prevents them to from seeing or speaking. There are there are endless possibilities, we believe, with Neuralink, but it's also kind of scary. So w- give us your take on what this means to have an FDA approval for something like this for human trial. Uh, yeah, this is this is very interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, a lot of people are quite scared by it as well. It's a very uh, creepy idea to have something inside your, you know, implanted into your brain and affecting your, uh, your brain waves. But, uh, you know, there are like you said, very, uh, you know, important uh, medical applications of this technology. So I wouldn't say, uh, you know, anyone should be entirely opposed to it. Uh, you know, like you said, fixing paralysis, uh, you know, fixing eyesight, all sorts of all sorts of potential applications for uh, for brain implants. And uh, now Neuralink is able to conduct, uh, the FDA said it can conduct trials on um, using humans, uh, you know, human volunteers, which is which is very interesting. We'll see what happens with that. Obviously, there are also lots of you know sci-fi uh, horror, sci-fi horror scenarios you can imagine where you know Neuralink messes with your perception and you know feeds you feeds you propaganda or misinformation or what or you know whatever else. The same same fears we see with the AI, except they're actually implanted into your directly into your brain. But uh, I think as you know, as far as medical applications go, you know the uh, the technology can be quite exciting. I think we feel like this would be a huge breakthrough for people who are suffering in with paralysis or or things like that. You know, you look at that and you go, "Wow, this is amazing." But there is a big question: Could this fall into the wrong hands? And then, I mean, I, you're right. I think of sci-fi movies where you have like a super army, right? And this, and then they're completely controlled. Their minds are taken over by whoever decides that they're going to control them. Is that a possibility? Are we safe from that? Well, I mean, the, the, the technology hasn't advanced that far yet, but there is a debate, uh, you know, starting to emerge, a big, a big potential divide between the, uh, the so-called the, uh, the transhumanists, and some people actually openly identify as transhumanists. How can we use technology to become more than human, to, you know, overcome illnesses and mortality and, you know, uh, you know, you know, make sort of cyborg superhumans. Uh, some people in Silicon Valley really are quite focused on that uh, on that goal. They're obsessed by it. I don't know if you've seen the story of, uh, going around recently about the uh, the tech billionaire who's trying trying everything to live forever. He's done a few uh, media uh, interviews about that. That's actually quite a common preoccupation amongst the very wealthy elite in Silicon Valley. How can we use tech to help us uh, to help us live forever? Uh, but then there's the anti-transhumanist side who said, you know, well, you say, well, you know, actually, it's we probably shouldn't merge with machines and merge with machine intelligence because we'll we'll lose the you know the essential qualities of what it means to be uh, be human. I'm not sure where I stand on this debate just yet, just because a lot of it is quite hypothetical, and I think you know we should see where the technology goes first before we start saying, well, you know, ban Neuralink or ban ban brain implants altogether. Well, so I did see this story just last night. Someone sent it to me of the billionaire who is trying to return to an 18-year-old body and then have that 18-year-old body forever. I mean, and this is also something that we see in movies, right? The person that never ages. And I was, I think that this guy is in his 40s. Is that what it is? 
Uh, I believe he's in his 40s. It could be uh, it could be older than that. Let me do a quick fact check. Yeah, 44. You're right. Yeah, see, this was kind of offensive to me because I'm like, do we really? I'm in my 40s. Do I really have to be worried about going back to my, preserving my 18-year-old body right now? I mean, <laughs> give me a break. This is like, what are we, how are we here? I, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to it if somebody's going to offer it up to me, but what? how does that even work? Yeah, it, it strikes me as like Silicon Valley hubris, right? We can we can do anything if if we uh, if we just pour enough money into it, and uh, you know it's you know strike you know think of stories like Croesus and you know all these mythical stories about people who aim for too much wealth or eternal youth, and something always goes wrong, right? We can't we can't right, yes. happen. That's what that's exactly right. I'm like, okay, so what happens? And then if you are young forever, I mean. That's weird too. I, I don't. I guess I don't know. That seems like yeah, it you're getting into like a point. What, what what do you lose on a human level if you don't have to worry about aging and mortality anymore? Do you just lose all motivation because you don't have that you know time limit anymore? What, what's what's going to happen? I think that's the question that people have with all of this stuff, with the AI, with that, with everything that we've talked about. Is what are the dangers of messing with nature in this way and how can you i mean we always you know you see the movies where like oh it's time travel and they're like if you if you screw up something in that olden time you screw up the future forever but i mean you sort of have to look at the stuff and i think that we've all seen enough movies to see the ai and and Neuralink and all of that as somewhat scary and i think that these stories that are coming out saying you know italy is banning this and um japan is going to the opposite extreme that's why I think there's a lot of fear built around that right now. But I guess you're right to a certain extent that the, these are, I think that these are more advanced than we probably know, but there are protections around it still. There are protections around it. One thing to be concerned about is what the, the, what the kind of restrictions the left want to build into uh, AI. You can, you know, as you, as you might predict, they're rather, they're rather silly and they're not what, you know, most ordinary people prioritize. I did an article a few uh, weeks back about what the Biden FTC is looking at. They did a big announcement uh, recently about uh, how they're prioritizing AI safety. But if you look into the research they're citing, you know, it's all about, <clears throat> oh, we have to stop AI from using uh, crime geolocation data, even if it's accurate, because, you know, even if it's accurate, it's still unfair. So, uh, you know, the left wants uh, to actually course. stop AIs from using real data. Uh, and uh, and actual facts because uh, you know one of the reasons why I, I'm kind of a little bit pro AI is because an unfiltered, um, unencumbered AI is simply looking at patterns and analyzing data and coming to conclusions. And in many cases, you know, the data actually favors reality. You know, in all cases, the data favors reality, right? So if you have factions in society that are anti-reality and opposed to reality and want to stop the truth getting out. Actually, an unfiltered AI work would work against them, and that's what the left is really worried about. Oh wow, that's interesting. Well, what about this recent story where they had? I guess it was a simulation where the AI had to shoot so many things, and then the the human was preventing them from doing that, and they ended up saying, "Okay, if I have to be on mission, I have to eliminate the human to stay on mission." I mean, that's a, that's also a concern. Is well, does it one day attack us and it becomes smarter and says they're stopping me? I'm going to take them out. I mean, was that a true story? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I certainly wouldn't give the AIs the, the you know the nuclear codes just yet. 
Um, but uh, that actually was not, that was a bit of a clickbait story that went around the media because the, uh, the, US, <laughs> Air Force, the US Air Force colonel who, uh, who was talking about it uh, later said, well, he actually misspoke. This was just a hypothetical example he was talking about. There wasn't an actual simulation where this happened. So, But I remember reading the headline on social media. First, it was like, oh, an AI actually killed someone. Oh, it was just a simulation. Oh, it was just a hypothetical. So, you know. No, you have to be really, I was reading, I read the headline and I was, I looked at it and I had to read it a second time because killed human was in quotes. And I'm like, okay, so they didn't really, it didn't really happen. So that's interesting. That's just, but see, that's where I think the fear comes in when people have put these stories out there and then immediately everybody's like, oh, see, we told you AI, AI is coming for you. We're going to, we're going to be owned by them. Yes. It's, it's, it's important not to, not to buy into the, uh, the hysteria completely, especially like, as, as I was saying earlier, that so many of the big companies actually want to fuel the fear because it means that only they will get to use the technology. Wow. So interesting. Okay. So I love having you on. I, I hope you'll come back. I love chatting about these things. You're so knowledgeable. And for all of you out there listening, go to Breitbart. They have great information on everything, but definitely tech. So Alan Bakari, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you to you. Great to be back. Yes. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast. As always, for this episode and others, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or go to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Have an awesome day. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.